Okay, why don't we dive into things? People will be arriving for a while. By the time church starts, the room will be packed. But it reminds me, when I lived in Cambridge, I was at a church that had people from 40 different countries, and you could tell what country they were from by when they arrived. We'd have people, you know, arriving like five minutes before we were done. It was just kind of the way it worked. <laughs> anyway, uh, we have had a real treat uh, hosting uh, Joel and John, and uh, there were a number of really worthwhile things that occurred and things that were said over the course of uh, the last couple of days. And now we have an opportunity to kind of freewheel it. Uh, I'm going to be kind of lobbing some softballs, maybe throwing a hard curve every once in a while <laughs> to let them uh, go ahead and respond. But um, to kind of give you a sense of what I have in, have in mind is uh, we're going to talk about essentially four different matters, and I thought it would be great to kind of let you know what they are so you can kind of see where we are in things. And you might have questions that relate to a particular thing. So one of the things that came across very strongly over the course of the last couple of days is the, the importance for uh, concern for the environment for the Christian witness and apologetics. That's something that doesn't get addressed very much. So we're going to th think a little bit about that. By the way, that's a very huge matter uh, in academic circles. You may not have any conversations at work about that, but let me tell you, when you're at a place like Cambridge, Harvard, Yale, that's all anybody wants to talk about. And so we'll talk about that. And then uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about politics. And so uh, the importance of uh, having some, some uh, control over your food, <laughs> particularly uh, as the world becomes more controlling. So we'll talk about that. Then I'd like to get into just uh, things related to uh, doing it. Um, you know, uh, questions about how to, how to get started, that kind of thing. And then health benefits. You know, what are, what are some of the health benefits? So uh, Joel and John, you got, you're all mic'd up, right? Why don't you come on, stand right over here. I'll stand over here. I'll, I'll be like Phil Donahue back in the day. <laughs> anyway, uh, let me begin with uh, saying a couple of things. One. Um, we're getting some feedback here. Am I too close to the mic? So when, uh, when I lived in Cambridge, well, let me, let me set it this, up way, this way. So I, I had already had my graduate degree. I had been at a second graduate school uh, by the time I arrived in Cambridge. And those schools were Christian, but had done almost nothing to prepare me for Cambridge. Almost nothing. When I got there, I was blindsided again and again and again because subjects were brought up as objections to the Christian faith that were never talked about in seminary. And an example is something that um, I referred to last night when I was talking with Joel and John uh, afterward. There was an article that was written in 1967 that was published in Science, which is a journal that scientists read, <laughs> entitled The Historical Roots of Our Ecological Crisis by a fellow named Lynn White, Jr. And in that article, he lays the ecological crisis at the feet of the church, particularly the Western church. And it's a systematic and devastating attack. And everybody on the left knew about this. Nobody on the right even knew it existed. Now, there are a lot of problems with it, and I have the kind of background that allows me to see the problems with it, and I was able to pretty easily take it apart and address it. In fact, my book in the House of Tom Bombadil is actually a secret response <laughs> to Lynn White's uh, book or his article. So I never tell that to anybody, but I actually cite Lynn White once in here. And, uh, but the entire thing is a defense of dominion against his statements about the evils of dominion. So there are a couple of times yesterday, Joel, particularly Joel, the day before, where you were addressing the subject of dominion, mm -hmm. and more or less expressing kind of the contempt that non-Christians have for the term and the outlook. Can you maybe get into that a little bit? Yeah, so... Is this on? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, um, the, the perception, uh, it's important, you know, you got to, if you're, if you're going to deal with somebody or, or stand for an argument, 
it's best to know where the other person's coming from first. Uh, if you don't know where the other person's coming from, you're, you're at a real disadvantage. And so you got to understand that in the non-Christian community, uh, the conquistadors yeah. uh, killed half of North America in the name of God and the Queen, right? Uh, these were very reli religious people. The, uh, the Crusades. Um, think of what were, how many people were killed and burned and, 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 and the anti-Semitism and all that of, of the Crusades. And so uh, this is what, this is the context out of which the, you know, uh, the non-faith world sees us acting out our faith, okay? And then from our side, um, instead of repenting in sackcloth and ashes for these, <laughs> for these, you know, things done in the name of God, um, we kind of, you know, laugh it off. And I'm, I'm not saying I do. I'm saying, you know, we, sure. the, the faith community, we, we laugh it off. And, and then to add fuel to our fire, what we see is during the 1800s, we have, you know, the British Romantic poets, Bish, Shelley, Keats. I've never seen anything as beautiful as a tree. Right. And, and, um, and the early, you know, the early uh, uh, naturalist movement, uh, environmental movement, was very much a... Um, a, a worship of a very godless. It was very godless. It, it was it it it, uh, it worshipped creation rather than the creator, and so the the faith community is repelled by that, and and as a result, anybody that that uh, espoused you know environmental stewardship uh, was bagged. Mm -hmm. Along with everything else, so this just this just the the, the juxtaposition of us uh, us un, our unwillingness to defend the conquistador mentality, and then then from our perception, the other side not only um, viewing us from that perspective, but then embracing this this you know divinity of a tree um, was was repulsive and so both sides um, couldn't couldn't can't won't whatever have discourse mm -hmm. and so our response to something as repulsive as the divinity of a tree our response to that is to laugh off everyone who hugs a tree everyone who wants to protect a tree mm -hmm. or anything yeah. and, and and that carries right on through to the abortion pro-life movement, right? You know, it's the, it's the liberal left that has, um, uh, you know, taken the, the anti-life and the Christians take the life and then this creates an incredible, uh, you know, inconsistency of thought, um, you know, in, in, in the debate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Any, any thoughts, John, along that line? I can, I can set this up a little bit by actually quoting some, reading a little bit of White's piece because it relates to some of this. So, um, man uh, named all the animals, thus establishing his dominance over them. God planned all this explicitly for man's benefit and rule. This is his summary of the Christian faith, particularly in the West. No item of the physical creation had any purpose uh, saved to serve man's purposes. And although man's body was made of clay, he was not simply part of nature, he was made in God's image. Especially in the Western form, Christianity is the most anthropocentric religion the world has seen. Uh, as early as the second century, and he goes talking about Tertullian and so forth, but uh, there's, a, there's a remarkable passage where he describes uh, agricultural practices uh, in the West and uses very powerful kind of uh, language to describe it. Um, so what, what you end up with is, you know, uh, the language of kind of like, uh, raping nature, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. And mm -hmm. basically the, the accusation is, is that it's the Christian mindset that mm -hmm. explains this. Now, the problem with his whole treatment is that he's employing something else that characterizes the West, which is the scientific method, which also has its roots. Well, actually, we can make a very strong case that we wouldn't have science if it wasn't for the Christian faith. 
there have been a number of uh, really um, well-done treatments of that subject. But there are these inconsistencies in his treatment. So it's easy to take them apart. But one of the things you, you learn when you're in, in an environment like, say, Cambridge, <laughs> is it's not just about the arguments and what's reasonable. A lot of it has to do with sin and people looking for excuses. And we just provide these folks with all <laughs> kinds of excuses yeah, yeah. <laughs> to dismiss the faith. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So any, any thoughts, John, about you know, when you were in seminary, do you remember this kind of... Well, you noted that you know, Francis Schaeffer wrote a lot about uh, the natural world and ecology, but we never remember that. Yeah. So I'm going to use Tolkien for a moment. Yeah. Tolkien is a you know, 1900s writer, and, and people miss the ecology of Tolkien just like they miss the ecology of Schaefer. You know, what, what makes Saruman Saruman? Mm -hmm. he, he, you know, Saruman embodies the modern scientific mind yeah. that sees all of nature merely as a means to his own ends. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so Treebeard speaking about him, he's like, you know, Saruman used to come and speak with me. But now he has only a mind of metal and ears. Mm -hmm. yep. and, and so Saruman, in some ways, was allegorical to what Tolkien saw happening in England as oh, yeah. industrialization just, you know, to him, destroyed the countryside. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, in the, biblically speaking, the West has been dominated by, you know, in the book of Genesis, there's like three couplets of commands. There's Rule and, uh, rule and subdue, be fruitful and multiply, and then tend and keep. Mm -hmm. And the West is dominated by rule and subdue and neglects tend and keep. Because um, rule and subdue are Hebrew words used as kings. They're the words you see in Joshua, mm -hmm. Samuel. Uh, you know, they're fighting words, kingly words. Uh, tend and keep are shepherd words, pasture words, vine dresser words. Uh, the only other place you see tend and keep together in the Bible is in reference to the Levitical service in the temple. And these couplets all have to be held together, but the West has really been dominated by yeah. only one set. Yeah. Well, you know, bringing in Tolkien, Tolkien and Lewis both saw this stuff. So one of the things is people, when they read Tolkien and Lewis, uh, they miss a lot of stuff because they're not, a, they're not acquainted with the big debates that are going on intellectually in the West. But they were addressing this stuff all the time. And uh, Tolkien, in some of his uh, writings outside of you know, his fiction, made an explicit connection between Saruman and modern science. I mean, he said, this is the modern magician. But um, so um, let me just read something that gives you a sense of what I think we, we should, uh, how we should think about dominion in Scripture. Many influential people believe that the biblical doctrine of dominion is behind climate change and the extinction of species and myriad other regrettable things, but the problem with this view is that dominion is a fact. Human beings simply have it. It's God's doing. We can't abdicate. Human beings possess power all of, over all the creatures of the world. By the way, that was long before the scientific method developed. <laughs> uh, I suppose you could say that we have a ring of power whether we want it or not. But dominion isn't arbitrary power, at least not originally. In the Christian faith, human dominion is subject to God's dominion and is informed by God's law, His moral standard, His holiness. We can't just do as we please. So how should we go about exercising the dominion that we've been given? Well, I think that, and I'm, this is a book about Tom Bombadil, <laughs> I think Tom actually is an illustration of what Tolkien thought was the proper way to exercise dominion. And Tom's uh, uh, rule was, or Tom's uh, practice of dominion included rule and cultivation. So those two things. And so uh, we must place uh, we need to make a place for ourselves in the world. The word dominion, by the way, is derived from the Latin domus, which means home. We need to make a home for ourselves uh, uh, and order things to our liking, but that isn't everything. Uh, and that doesn't mean that we've abdicated office when we leave things alone. It just means that we rule those things in the interest of those things. 
to the glory of their maker. So we want, we're going we're gonna to govern the, you know, sort of the world that wolves live in and lions live in and things. It's just we're, we're, we're made in the image of God and we can't abdicate. But we have to keep the good of those things in mind. You know, and and I, th- I think there's one more thing that we need to understand uh, when we get into these kinds of discussions with um, the non-faith community is that all civilizations have destroyed their ecological wealth. Every one of them. The Babylonians did, the Persians did, the Romans did, the Greeks did, the Chinese did, the Swedes did, the Norwegians did, the, uh, you know, Indi- the Indi- uh, the dot Indians, not American, uh, American Indians, you know, a lot of people don't realize that, that the, the, the Native Americans here uh, I mean, they're they're upheld. You remember the the guy with the tear in his you know, in the <laughs> Cayuga <laughs> River, okay? Right. And right. and we've got this mystique. But but the fact is, there were there were um, Native American tribes who were we would consider pretty good stewards, and there were ones that were totally exploitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, when the Hudson Bay Company established the beaver trade uh, through you know Montreal through Ontario. Um, and, and, and they, they made their uh, commitment there in, in Illinois, um, along with the, Man, with the Mandan Indians. That was the kind of trading post because they were the ones that were not nomadic uh, Native Americans. Um, they, actually, they actually established, the Hudson Bay Company actually established a rotational harvest. They said from this mountain to this mountain, uh, you know, you'll harvest this year. And they had like a, like a five-year, uh, once every five years will we'll harvest and then they'll have four years of recovery, a year to harvest, a year, and they actually established a, a rotational harvest for beaver pelts to have a sustainable beaver industry. And the whole thing collapsed because now all the tribes who were at the, at the, you know, the planning session knew where they weren't going to be trapped. And so they poached on oh, those wow. and the whole thing came down yeah. because some of the tribes so so don't uh, as as I'm prone to indict the faith community in this in this sphere I have to always remember quickly it's not just a, it's a human condition right. the human condition is to not care for God's interests mm-hmm. that's the human condition mm-hmm. and so so it's not specifically christian Although the left tries to make it that way, yeah, uh, they want to. They want to make us the, you know, the bad. They want to make no matter what the issue is. Yeah. we are the bad guy. Yeah, we are the bad guy. But um, it's okay to stand on your legs and say, look, the fact is, it's Christians, it's Hindus, it's Buddhists, it's native, it's everybody. Uh, we have all, uh, we have all, uh, uh, whatever, disregarded right. God's stuff. So and, this is one of the things I love to say when I'm in these debates. Uh, the, the problem with I mean, Christi- Israel did. Sure. Is- the, but the problem with Christianity is good record keeping. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, these, these uh, native yeah. groups didn't keep the kind of records that we have, but we can yeah. discover their, their, you know, their, their, their legacy by discovering, you know, sort of digging up the, the massacre, yeah. the bones yeah. <laughs> of people that were massacred. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of our rosy sort of glass mm-hmm. view of the, uh, is due to Rousseau and sort of the noble savage and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's kind of a fun thing. When, when uh, Benjamin Franklin was trying to make nice with the French to get them to come on our side, he, he went around with a, with a beaver pelt on his hat in his head to kind of play into their kind of stereotypes mm-hmm. yeah, about the, the, yeah. the noble savage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, but this, this is the thing that uh, I think needs to be addressed uh, more often in church environments. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's not even being addressed in seminaries and courses mm-hmm. on apologetics. I, I, I had to do kind of the deep dive on this stuff kind of on the scene in Cambridge when I was at Harvard. I was just like, I was an autodidact. I just had to mm-hmm. educate myself and learn about all the weaknesses uh, in the arguments that were being presented. And it was not hard. But mm-hmm. we just don't think about this stuff. Right, right. Anyway, um, any questions, though, from you know, folks here? And, and, and may I say that, that one of the things that we see uh, with our farm tours all the time uh, that I, I take a very strong stand on is, is the result is that much of the world now has an abandonment environmental mentality. In other words, man's involvement is bad. 
you take man out and and everything will be great. Right. And, and so we have environmentalism by abandonment. So the right. only way the only way to actually steward the environment properly is to get rid of the people. Yeah, kill them. And so, well, not but well, make you know, state parks and, long, long and wilderness <laughs> areas and and, and, and and yeah, well, but there actually it, is. It, a... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Bill Gates wants to kill them, but but but, but the, the the average person um, uh, just they have this mentality: human touch bad, um, eliminate human touch, and it's all good. Yeah. And and so um, so when I'm when I'm doing the tours at the farm. You know, and I've got, of course, you know, lots of people from broad spectrums of life. I say, say, I, I get it. You know, if I look back at the gullies and the rocks and the and what all the people before me did, I, I get it. All my great grandparents and whatever. So, okay, I'll repent in sackcloth and ashes. That's good. All right. But then, what do you do? Do you do you do you then abandon it all, or do you actually do you actually take? The mechanical ability we have, you know, opposing thumbs, and our intellectual capacity, and the hands and heads that have exploited and hurt, can then become hands of God to heal. And, yeah, so, and so, so, so we, so we, we believe in environmentalism by participation, right? Rather but, than environmentalism by abandonment. Yeah, the, the story you told about the the, the reclamation of uh, topsoil on your farm, right, you know, right. that was a remarkable. Yeah, uh, thing it, it is. It is remarkable. Yeah, 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 and and the whole community sees it. You know, they the, the old timers. Right. They, they 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 don't understand it, but they see it. Right, right. Now, uh, one of the things too that both you and John talked a lot about is understanding how the world works, so that we can work with it. Mm. In other words, that there is a design because mm -hmm. there's a designer, and we need to work with the design. So you you did a great job on that, uh, John, when you were you know you kind of started talking it started off talking about clouds and. Then you know you reflected on, you know Schaefer and Edwards. Any thoughts about that? I mean, so we had this we have this idea that the that creation is sort of like Play-Doh, and we can just kind of make it into anything we want, and impress our image on it. But there's something there to it. Yeah. So, what helped me? Um, your daughter-in-law was asking, like in health. Yeah. Um, you know, what is the purpose and telos of things in creation? Because we don't, you know, we look at things and we see only them as a means to our ends, rather than seeing how they fit into the grand scheme mm -hmm. that is the glory of creation around us. So a baby gets a fever, or like a small child gets a fever, we don't think, well, what's the purpose of the fever? We think, where's the advent? Yeah. Um, you know, we get sniffles or something or aches, we don't think, well, well why does this hurt? We think, well, what medicine do I need? Mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're not trained, you know, even from very little, we train ourselves to function against finding design and letting that shape our choices mm -hmm. and how we navigate the world. And as I was talking about with some people before, this is very anti what you see in the book of Proverbs. Like, what is wisdom yeah. in the Old Testament? It's the ability to look at the world, to notice purpose, design, and telos, and then shape your life around that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we do that in lots of ways. You know, we think about an architect. We've got, I've got a friend here who's an architect, and he has to understand the characteristics of the materials that he's working with and work with them as opposed to against them. You know, you're not going to make a skyscraper out of balsa wood, no matter how much you want to make a skyscraper out of balsa wood. You know, <laughs> you got to understand what things, uh, what characterizes those things. So this is, this is good stuff. This whole mindset, though, that the world is just sort of a place for us to just impress our own will uh, upon, it comes up in all sorts of ways on the left. So, you know, I just, I mentioned this the other day, I, I just wrote an editorial for World Magazine in response to this piece in, in a Wall Street Journal. And uh, the title of it is, What If Men Could Make Their Own Egg Cells? Why would we want that? Well, because you can make a lot of money from certain people who want to do that, that's why. But it's completely out of accord, not just with human nature, but just nature, mammalian <laughs> you know, nature, that kind of stuff. But they're, they're, they're making progress in this regard. And anyway, uh, I'll let you read my, my editorial response, but, but this, this mindset is everywhere. It's everywhere. Yeah, well, and, and this mindset uh, that isn't it interesting that that Christian that the faith community 
embraced our, our um, whatever, our, our smartness. After all, we're made in God's image, right? Right, sure. Um, so we're pretty smart. In fact, we're so smart we can do things we can't mentally, emotionally, physically, or materially metabolize. Um, overrun our headlights, if you will. Mm -hmm. and, and what's interesting is that the, the non-faith community then um, uh, takes this, this smartness, <laughs> this creativity, and, and, and goes to a, a completely uh, crazy um, anti-pattern place. Um, and so we're the ones that should be asking the Jurassic Park question, yeah. <laughs> uh, just because we can, should we? Right. I mean, right. that question should be on our lips of, of just because we can drink Coke, should we? Mm -hmm. Just because we can't eat a Happy Meal or make, you know, uh, chicken nuggets right. out of soybeans and... and, right. and just because whatever. we could make a, a baby without a mother, A baby without we? a mother, should, should we? we? Yeah, exactly. And, and so, so for us, um, and what I find is you know, as we start asking this, it starts moving us then into this wonderful, humble place of, of, of caretakers of something amazingly more special than we can ever imagine. I mean, you know, every millisecond our microbiome is making a quadrillion decisions of, of exchange. You know, a little molybdenum, a little bit of starch here, a little bit of protein there. And, and this is happening. That's how much that's how much is going on. And so for us to wade in like a bunch of swashbuckling you know, sailors <laughs> into, this, uh, into this place, um, uh, you know, yeah, it's 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 We assume that there's nothing important going on yeah. already. We, right. We're the ones who bring meaning and purpose and structure to everything, and that there's right. nothing that's already been sort of given to us. Yeah. Yeah. Now let, let's think a little bit about um, the kind of the political implications to some of some things. Um, a lot of folks have gotten concerned about, concerned about the kind of the growing sense that we all have that we're we're being you know sur there's surveillance all the time. Um, you know, there's not like a moment like right now when if I, if I have a, a conversation that relates to the government, I turn off my cell phone. I'm an, I'm that paranoid now because I actually have a I know somebody who's been prosecuted just simply because they were able to trace this and he was innocent, wasn't involved in anything illegal, but because he was in the proximity of something that was illegal, mm. he's now on federal, up on federal charges. So this is the, the world we live in. And, uh, you know, we hear stuff from the World Economic Forum, you know, things related to like, hey, you're not going to own anything. It's going to be great. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, you're going to be happier than you've ever been. You know? mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and part of that is the food thing. Yeah. I think this is one of the things that we fail to appreciate is that whoever controls the food supply controls the population. And it seems like there's kind of an encroachment here. So any reflections on... Because you know when you, when you know your your kind of <laughs> self identification as a libertarian yeah. lunatic farmer, <laughs> the, 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 this is the the libertarian part. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, well it, it is, and not only that, but I think I think we it's not it's not stretching it to take uh, James one twenty seven, pure religion and undefiled, is to visit the fatherless and widows in their infliction. So you've got the the poor, okay, the 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 uh, the disadvantaged, if you will, and the second is. To keep himself unspotted from the world. That's a kind of a, it's like the, 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 the lamb of sacrifice, spotted and blemished, okay? It's, it's a kind of, so what, what does that mean to be unblemished or unspotted uh, by the world? And, and, and then you couple that with broad is the way that leads to destruction, narrow is the way that leads um, uh, to life eternal. And, and you begin realizing that the, um, the salt of the earth, the 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 uh, the city on a hill, <laughs> all you know, the light and under the, the, the light that shines, not under a bushel. All these things are um, are, are exemplary of us maintaining a um, a uniquely separate identity. Well, how far does that extend? Um, and, and and you know, if we look at the at the Western Church, if you will, the, the Western Church, we have the same amount of, of diseases. You go into anybody's refrigerator, open it up, 
after you've had your prayer meeting of, well, I've got to deal with my diabetes, I've got to deal with my obesity, you open up the refrigerator and there's Velveeta cheese, Lunchables, and, and six packs of Coke. And so our, our, and I'm using this broad again, our refrigerators look the same as everybody out there. And so obviously we are, we are in that, we are embracing we're allowing ourselves to be blemished and spotted and, and, and carry the same birthmarks, if you will, of the world instead of having a separate identity. Um, now, does that mean we don't drive cars and we turn Amish and we, you know, no, no. But, but I, I do think it, it means that we, actually, um, that we actually ask, what is that dependency? And this comes back to, to dominion, too. Um, uh, if I'm in dominion, then when I place myself under the dominion of people that want to kill half the world and make fake meat and, and, and vaccines uh, of dubious uh, consequence, um, you know, how, how far am I going in there? And we just, did, we just did a health summit at the farm, and it was one of, the, one of the, my biggest, you know, you get these little aha moments, you know, this profound. And, and one of the speakers was talking about cancer. And he said, what if, what if instead of cancer being unregulated growth, it's actually a backup of garbage that your body can't get rid of? Hmm. And his point was, what a different way you would look at cancer if instead of you looked at cancer as, as, a, as a, a, a rampant runaway, gro- a runaway horse, I've got a corral, as opposed to a garbage truck that can't exit. Those are two extremely different views of cancer. Sure. And, and so, and so, um, I just think that in general, in general, the the mainstream Orthodox narrative is wrong ninety five percent of the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, what do I do? Am I the first? To get a smartphone, am I the first to embrace, you know, Netflix? Am I the first to get a TV? You know, so our family never had a TV. We said, I don't have a TV. I don't have a smartphone. I got a flip phone. Uh, I'm not saying it's sin to have one. I'm just saying, as the faith community, can we wrestle with? Can we at least wrestle with these things? Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I don't have the answers. I don't have the answers. But but I I, I relish the opportunity to at least discuss them respectfully and. And wrestle with them. So I, I'd like to come at this a little bit different, though. So you made some really great observations about lab-grown meat, mm-hmm. and there really is a cult that's trying right. to promote lab-grown right. meat and essentially put you out of business by making it illegal to right. grow your own meat. I mean, right. there really is a movement out there. Like yeah, yeah, so yeah. I'm not making this up. <laughs> yeah, California, uh, San Francisco is actually doing ordinances to make um, uh, to separate meat eaters from non-meat eaters in restaurants, like 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 smokers, like smokers only. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, uh, meat only, uh, non-meat, so that the meat eaters don't have to. Don't, it put, yeah, yeah. yeah, don't pollute uh, the, <laughs> don't the pollute. atmosphere of yeah. the of the vegetarians. Yeah. <laughs> But, this, but the, see, these, but the, the, and this ties into a number of other things. There's, you know, kind of the, mm-hmm. kind of the idealization of uh, sort of the vegetarian diet. But mm-hmm. then there's also how this can link, links to climate change. Are you familiar with that argument? <laughs> so I don't know if you realize this, yeah. but there is an argument against raising meat based on yeah. climate change. Oh, yeah. That's one of their, that's, they've got about four big, one, one, the first one is this allows us to not slaughter animals. Right. The second one is it allows us to, you know, stop climate change. And, um, and the third one is, you know, supposedly better nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so the anti-death the anti-death, anti-sacrifice uh, mentality is, is, is truly remarkable as people have uh, gotten away from an understanding of the life-death decomposition, regeneration, life-death decomposition, regeneration, that, that whole cycle um, doesn't exist anymore. And, and as, we've ele- as we've elevated animals to humans, yeah. you know, um, uh, I just debated Peter Singer Oh, you did? Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Peter Singer is like, yeah. 
He, he's the guy who yeah. says, a, 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 what is it, a frog is a boy, a boy is a boy. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. And I just debated him on, uh, on a on a. Is that, a is that somewhere online? I'd love to see it. Yeah, it, it is. Um, he teaches at was, Princeton, by the way. He's an ethicist. <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's right. Right now he's living in uh, Australia most of the time. Uh, he was in Australia when, when I debated okay. him on, on a, it was a, a Canadian, it was a Canadian debate forum. Okay. Uh, they, they host these things. And the so top, let me guess, you were the heavy, you were the thug, you were the guy that's supposed to be the bad guy, and, like in studio wrestling. Sure. Yeah. The, 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 the topic was, the topic was, um, um, meat should not be on the plate, uh, or something like that. Yeah. And, um, and what was interesting you know, was that he kept, it, it was very interesting, and, and I think this speaks to this morning. I hadn't even thought of that until he, as the debate went on, he kept attacking concentrated animal feeding operations, factory farming, feedlots, Tyson, you know, all that. And I said, but, but Peter, our chickens are on grass, they're on pasture, they have a wonderful life. And it was interesting how toward the end of the debate, he actually, he didn't know what to do with me. Yeah. He didn't know what to do because he's, because he's not used to a conservative right. embracing the pigness of the pig. And he, he, he was all prepped for this, you know, and, um, and it, it really threw him a, a quite a loop. It's, it's quite fascinating. He didn't do any research on you. No, he must not have done any research. I mean, he's used to debating industrial food people. Right. You know? And right. he wasn't used to somebody, uh, 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 you know, uh, taking this position that... Um, that's, by yeah. the way, the best way to debate these people. Just pull the carpet right out from under them. Right. It works every time. Right, right. So, yeah, it was, a, it was really an interesting one. But, but it's, 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 the non, it's the non-death. They, they don't want anything to die. But, um, you know, um, Layer, Layer Keith, Layer Heath wrote uh, The Vegetarian Myth. Um, she's not a believer, but um, she embraced this whole thing. And, and she realized... That um, and she, so she's. I'm going to live a life that I, that I don't have to kill anything. Okay, even though you know millions of trillions of microbes are dying every morning <laughs> right. inside right. of us, right. and and uh, and so she uh, she decided that she would raise her own uh, lettuce, and she goes out and the snails are eating her lettuce, and so she has this emotional spiritual breakdown. <laughs> what am I going to do with these snails eating my lettuce? Can't, so she so she puts. Them. So, so she puts out her, her beer things and goes at, at, at two o'clock and sets her alarm clock, goes out at night and picks up the snails, but I can't kill the snail. So I'll take them, you know, somewhere. And anyway, you, you see where this is going. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. And she finally realized I, I, I can't, I can't grow something without, without killing. I got to kill these bugs. And so she's okay, I'll go to the store. And she's, she had her meltdown when she's standing in front of the lettuce thing in the store and realized, Oh, these people killed snails, and she she she, she tried to run, but right. she she couldn't get away from right, it. Right. And it's one of the most profound things. And we as believers, man, the, the the jumping off point to be able to just smile and say to people, yeah, something has to die in order for us to eat. And all the plant stuff now, the carrots scream, the trees. Yeah. Communicate the, the the whole the truth is the whole cosmos is pulsing with sentience. There 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 is you know they, yeah, they, they don't yeah, talk they don't that. they don't move maybe they don't quack and they don't talk like we do but but they're they're communicating. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You know the 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 the. Could you explain that? There's people in this audience that don't know what you mean when you're saying that right now. The acacia trees, for example, in Africa, when the when the um, giraffes. Uh, graze through the acacia trees. The acacia trees emit pheromones that waft on the breeze. For for centuries, nobody understood why the giraffes always graze the acacia trees upwind, into the wind. Well, now we know it's because the pheromones are wafting on the breeze, and the giraffes and it, and, it, and it makes the phytochemicals in the leaves turn bitter, so the giraffes don't like them as much, and so it's a defense. The trees are are, are defending themselves against the giraffes, okay? And so the giraffes are grazing into the wind to try to beat the pheromones to get the sweet leaves. And, and this is the response to the tree. Um, uh, we, we tap sugar maples at our farm, sugar maples. Um, and, and, they probably and, don't like it. 
Well, <laughs> actually, actually, they don't mind. But but here's what here's what happens. Here's what happens. If if a so you you've got you know three taps in this big maple tree, right? It's flowing nice. The sap's flowing nice, and a breeze comes up, and it stops. Huh? Why? Well, because the tree is preparing for a branch to break. In a, not, oh, okay. not a breeze, but a heavy wind. Sure, All right, sure. heavy wind. Right. And, and and it's preserving its blood flow, if you will, so that if a, if the wind breaks a branch off, all right, it can send all this sap right. to the break and heal it. And as soon as the wind stops, the sap starts flowing again. Yeah, this that's, is. That, yeah. I mean, you know, that's that's understanding. You know, that's so far beyond. And so so to be able to look at these people and just enjoy creating a platform of death to life and then Christ died yeah. for us right I mean it's this beautiful platform yeah well this is one of the things that distinguishes Christianity from everything that came before it what well, came before we have to kill things to feed the gods with Christianity God submits to death in Christ to feed us marvelous yes. Yes. Uh, inversion. Yes. But yeah, Absolutely. so this is part of a much mm -hmm. larger. Actually, when I get to preach a little later, I'll be touching in on that, touching on it a little bit. <laughs> now, um, so, you know, one of the things that occurred to me is that because, uh, you know, you're promoting, uh, you know, folks uh, to, or encouraging folks to go out and, you know, raise their own food, it lends itself to a more kind of freedom mindset yeah uh, mm -hmm. and you know the whole rogue food theme <laughs> is basically that yeah. right I mean mm -hmm. so here we have uh, practices that our ancestors uh, enjoyed for thousands of years and now you're coming in to say that these things are illegal you know why you know you need to justify yourself we don't need to justify what we're doing you need to justify why you're doing that but anyway any any sort of thoughts on that because it seems to me that if we wanted to pacify and uh, kind of neuter a population, one of the ways is to make them utterly dependent on a food supply. Right. So, so you know, the place of blessing is without the camp. Without the camp. And so, and, and, and again, we have the, the broad way and the narrow way, same, you know, metaphor, um, illustration, and... So if we're eating food raised with chemicals, then there doesn't have to be death in order to have life. And so that's why our food is now so nutrient deficient is because we haven't been feeding it the broccoli, the lettuce. <laughs> you know, we haven't been feeding it on compost, which is, which is former life. Um, we've been feeding it on, you know, mined chemical, you know, petroleum 10, 10, 10, uh, that is not life again. And, um, and, and so over time that erodes the vitality of the soil, the biology in the soil. Um, and, and when that happens, you eliminate the diversity. There's a fascinating test right now being done by the Bionutrient Association. It's not a Christian organization, but they're trying to they're, they're taking a, a thing out of Abby at uh, NCIS, uh, her, her mass spectrophotometer, you know, where you can put a speck of paint in and it gives you all the, you know, compounds in that little speck. They're taking that and making a handheld spectrometer um, that you can, that you can, their goal is to be able to actually just wand lettuce, beets, T-bone steak. Whatever. Oh, wow. And get and get a nutrient reading yeah. uh, on that material. The first, so the the first thing they did was carrots, and they found that you they got 150 brands of carrots, and in order to get the same nutrition um, that that was contained in one carrot of the best one, you had to eat 150 carrots of the worst one. There's that much difference wow. in nutrition. Wow. Wow. So now they're they're drilling down on beef. So that's their first big, yeah. that they're trying to get the full spectrum. Right. And they're not done by any means, but what they have found already is that, they're, that the, the biggest of, uh, uh, influencer of the nutrient capacity of beef is how diversified was the diet. Hmm. 
Interesting, yeah. And so, you know, if you're, those of you who are aware of the microbiome, we know that, um, you know, there's, there are all sorts of linkages to autism and all sorts yeah. of things in the yeah. microbiome. And almost every single one, the bottom line is you're missing something. You're missing something in your microbiome. Yeah. Well, if you, if you get, if you get um, um, Martha Washington's cookbook from Mount Vernon or you get uh, Dolly Madison's from Montpelier, James Madison's wife, you get right. their cookbooks that they sell at the right. gift store. Um, half of the stuff in there We've never heard of. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they didn't have they didn't have Walmart to just yeah. repackage soy and corn. Yeah. And so they actually had to eat, you know, currant berries at this time, and then you yeah. know cherries, and then da, da da da. And and so one of the things that we explain to our customers is if you want to diversify your microbiome, one of the quickest ways is to get pastured chickens and pastured pig and pastured cattle on on perennial diversified polycultures. So that when they're eating this, they're eating 40 varieties of plants and, and, and material and, and creating diversity in their tissue, which then feeds our microbiome. So that's easier than trying to figure out how to grow current tomatoes. You know. Yeah. So last night and, and other times over the past couple of days, we've talked a little bit about how, well, you, you gave a, a, a marvelous, marvelous in one sense, <laughs> but kind of horrifying in another, you know, going to like a gas station in Kentucky and seeing... <laughs> what I'm familiar with, you know, Appalachia, you know, what yeah. we have with uh, just the obesity uh, problem that we have, particularly in, um, you know, poorer communities. Uh, I noted that it's become a kind of a status symbol to be thin. You know, you go to certain neighborhoods, like if you're in, if you're in Beverly Hills, mm -hmm. or if you're in the Upper East Side of Manhattan, or if you're in you know, my son and daughter-in-law's church in Nashville, which is a very tony church. Everyone is thin. And why? Because they're not eating the stuff that the poor folks are eating. What are the poor folks eating? What you get when, you know, <laughs> yeah, all that stuff. And then we think, too, about the fact that that wasn't the way it was. If you have, have folks seen, like, films, like, you know, from, like, the 1920s and Everybody's skinny. Yeah, <laughs> everyone is thin. This, by the way, when they when they were re, uh, they were, when they were sort of uh, renovating Fenway Park, they had to get bigger seats. Yeah, because yeah. all the seats were too small. <laughs> yeah, look at the airlines, the the seat extension, you know, the seat belt yeah, extension, that's right. all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, they didn't have TV to tell them what to eat. Yeah, and. So, people are moving around more. But, that yeah, was one, well, yeah, one part I mean, of it. But they, they also, well, but you noted uh, that when it comes to the cost, um, carbohydrates are the least expensive. That's right. Yeah, carbohydrates are, are, are cheap. Protein is expensive. Um, but there are huge things that you can do to reduce that price. Uh, and I'll just tell you, I'll just give you an example. of We had our eggs uh, tested at a, at a nutrient lab. And um, with, with 11 other pastured egg producers in the U.S., this was done several years ago. And um, I'll just pick one, folic acid. Folic acid is really important for pregnant women. It's an essential fatty acid. And um, the USDA label, there's 48 micrograms per egg. That's you go to the store, you, get a, you look on the ingredient, you, know, you get look on the nutrition label and folic acid, 48 micrograms per egg. And ours averaged 1,038. Wow. So, you know, when you start talking about that in the last 40 years, Americans have inverted their health care and food. 40 years ago, Americans spent 18% of their per capita income on food and 9% on health care. Today, it's 9% on food and 18% on health care. I would much rather invest in good food and stay healthy. Mm -hmm. And if we're heading toward dysfunctional times as a culture, if there's one thing you don't want to be when the wheels fall off and, you know, uh, is is sick. You don't want to be the guy in the in the back room. Hey, can y'all take me out in the bed? You know, with you when you head right. for the hills. Right. Um, and, and, and so, <laughs> and so we're seeing we're seeing just a a almost a a stampede toward interest in this is what's driving, you know, along with the homestead movement, the. the the, the alternative wellness movement. You know, uh, and and man, you know. Fauci did us all a wonderful favor. <laughs> I, I, I have a, I, I, I'm a, 
visiting scholar at a church in Alabama, and they call him uh, Saint Fauci <laughs> because he did such a favor to the rest of us by uh, kind of revealing yes, some things yes, about our absolutely. healthcare system yeah, that took the were words like, out of my mouth. absolutely. That's yeah. right. Yeah, I've got friends who who worked at NIH, and the stuff they told me, National Institutes of Health, mm -hmm. just like you kid me. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, it's really bad stuff. I mean, literally, they were sabotaging each other's projects so that they could get more funding for their own project. It was just wild. It was just like, I can't believe this is happening. How do we get anything done in this country? Right. Right. Our nurse, our nurse customers. We have numerous nurses that work at UVA, University of Virginia, huge, you know, teaching hospital, and and the the. Um, the manipulation of the death certificates to get that $40,000 incentive for a COVID patient, I mean, they, it, it, it's, it's obscene. It's just yeah. obscene. And so, so, you know, the beauty of this is that it actually opened the eyes of a lot of people yeah. to, uh, to say, you know, I'm, I'm going to head a different direction, kind of like, you know, early education did for homeschooling and yeah. things like that. It yeah. opens that opportunity. That pendulum has to swing before it gets our attention, unfortunately. Right. Most of us most of us need to be hit upside the head right. uh, before we... So I, I just came across <laughs> something that was kind of fun. It was, uh, I think it was Lithuania and um, Estonia. They mimic homeschooling in their public schools. Oh, okay. The teachers follow the kids all the way through, and huh. they're the most uh, or proficient educators. In other words, basically what they did is they, they said, we're gonna try to make this as much like mom doing homeschool yeah. as possible. And the scores went up. This sounds like uh, men <laughs> mentorship and discipleship. <laughs> That's right. I wonder how that works. <laughs> right, right. So it's a lot of fun stuff. So anyway, you know, we've been kind of going all over the place with different things. I think it'd be great if folks who are here and maybe have questions that they'd love to ask, if you could just kind of stand and ask the question. And then I'll repeat it because we're recording all this, by the way. So just so you know. Uh, you will be recorded and uh, on the internet if you do stand and respond or ask a question. But is there, is there one? Yes, please. I actually have two questions. Uh, one is addressing your talk, John, yesterday about not fighting fear. And I've heard a story about, uh, in, said in Ireland, of some dastardly deed being done by an Englishman, and the Irish fought back with shunning. And like nobody in the community would talk to this person. They, they acted as if this person did not exist. And it was a really powerful technique, and they won, against a person who had way more resources and the power to crush them as a person who couldn't withstand shunning. So let me just repeat that for the sake of the television audience. <laughs> so the question has to do with fighting fair uh, or not fighting fair. And then uh, you remarked or noted that in Ireland, when there was something that was done, perhaps by an Englishman, you know, that uh, person would be shunned by the community as a way to respond to the mm. injustice. So, yeah. So I'm just like, does that your your uh, your not fighting fair seems so playful, and uh, you know, like there's a little bit of uh, gentleness in the the fighting. This seems a little bit more brutal, but it it might be something we have to resort to. So I guess maybe if I summarize it, is it possible for us to just be jolly like John all the time, <laughs> or do we have to get tough sometimes? <laughs> well, well, I advocate shunning. Yeah. So shunning is incredibly biblical. Yes. You know, you're not to be yoked with unbelievers. And um, what always kind of drives me nuts with evangelicals, Presbyterians are better. Um, we know how to do the shunning a little better than the Baptists. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't have anything on the Amish. <laughs> Man. So Paul will often appeal to a wider concept and apply it to a narrow situation. And most Christians will never want to go back to the wider principle. So like Paul said, or Jesus says, what God has joined together, let no man rent asunder. He's referring to approximately marriage, but he's referring to a broader creational principle. Um, you know, so Paul says we're not to be yoked with unbelievers. He's speaking of marriage specifically there, but it's a broader principle. So I've never understood why Christians want to be dependent on people who hate their Lord 
and thus hate them. Like, why, you know, why would you want your child to be delivered by a doctor who two days ago mutilated another child? I just, so I'm a huge advocate of boycotts, shunning, opting out, removing support. Defunding. Yeah. You know, all of these things I advocate along with mockery. You know, as I said in my talk, the number of allowable biblical ways to fight evil is far greater than anything you will see from any conservative, religious, or political leader. And so I became to use all of them, every chance you get. And then on the other end of the spectrum, I was listening to, I I think her name was pronounced Christy, talk about PMAs and how it didn't work for her yesterday. And how part of the reason it didn't work is because if she had to defend herself, she saw in her small community a lot of corruption. And the case wouldn't go her way, even if it should have gone her way. And it made me think, there, there is a lot of corruption among judges um, and prosecutors. And I wonder if we can woo them by inviting them to pasture chicken dinners. <laughs> That's a great. So maybe what you could do, guys, is uh, help us understand what a PMA is. So basically the question is, how do we deal with corrupt local officials? Like we think that all the corrupt officials are very far away in Washington mm-hmm. when in fact they might just be your right. neighbor. <laughs> right, right. Uh, well, uh, there's no end to the, as there's no end to fighting evil, there's also no end to as much as lies within you, the peace with all men either. And so, um, you know, so reaching out, inviting your elected officials to a barbecue, um, taking uh, one of our guys took took a bunch of uh, chicken down to the local sheriff's department during the height of the defund police uh, a couple years ago just to love on them and let them know you know we we, we appreciate what you're doing um, what and and um, when we have extra pullet eggs in the spring um, that you know are hard to sell uh, we don't we we take those to the small engine repair shop, the local uh, government center, the bank uh, that we bank, you know, uh, uh, and and disseminate them to the community. Say here, you know, we got we got extra right now. Uh, enjoy, and so you heap coals of fire on 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 the heads of your of, of folks, and that's it goes a long way. Great. Any other questions? Yeah. Yesterday, Joel, you had brought up something that was interesting. You had said that uh, the internet being the great equalizer, and you used the example of the Airbnb, um, but you also moved it forward and you you suggested that maybe it might be useful to use it for the food producers. I was wondering if you knew if anyone or any organization was actually pursuing that path me being a software engineer, it interested me um, whether or not, you know, are you aware of someone trying to do those types of applications? So let me summarize it if I can. Correct me if I don't get it right. But basically we're thinking about how the Internet uh, has a kind of uh, made certain things possible that weren't possible before, kind of leveling the playing field a bit so this little guy can compete with the bigger guys and stuff like that. Uh, is there anything going on that you're aware of, Joel, with regard to that and food? Yeah, uh, so by default, um, sorry, I don't have a project for you to develop, uh, <laughs> but it's already developed, uh, just the rating system. Uh, right now, for example, you know, if somebody gets, uh, if somebody gets bad chicken from us, um, they're going to go on our social media, Instagram you know, accounts and things, and they're going to put a nasty, a nasty note on there. And so my point yesterday was we now have, the Internet has given us a, a global voice that's similar to the village voice when the butcher baker and candlestick maker were embedded in a little village. The internet has now given us a global rating system like the village rated their artisans and craftsmen and, and farmers and food producers back then. We can now rate people that we patronize and give our five stars, three stars, nasty comments, you know, <laughs> these people ought to be run out of town, whatever. Yeah, right. and, and so it creates its own its own policing, and that's 
it's already being done. So it's not like we're sitting around waiting for somebody to develop software to do this. It's, it's already being done by default. Yeah, I think related. And, 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 therefore, and therefore makes, makes the opaque industrial right. food right. inspection system obsolete. You know, right. every time there's a recall, every time there's a problem, what's the first thing that happens? The company CEO calls a press conference and says, we adhered to all the government requirements for this food item. That's the first. And so, so what, the, what the industrial inspection system, the bureaucratic, the Food Safety Inspection Service does is it gives cover. It allows these big corporations to hide under the skirts of the bureaucracy and not take responsibility. But if you have an Airbnb or you're an Uber driver, you can't hide behind anybody's skirts. You, you know, your, your drive gets raided right now. And, and so our chicken gets raided right now, our beef, our eggs, you know, the food gets raided right now. And, and we don't have any skirts to hide behind. And that's a fundamentally more transparent uh, uh, system of, of, uh, of accountability than, 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 than a bureaucratic paperwork. Yeah, I think that this is really important to note is that you, you're using a development that's in technology. Yes. Uh, and noting that it's a helpful thing. Yes. So we're not Luddites. No. It's, it's not like we're no. against everything mm -hmm. that has to do with mechanisms and stuff like that. Right. But we need to be more sort of, uh, I guess, uh, informed and, and make our judgments. Uh, well, we, we, need, we need to co-op. We need to co-op. Right. Right. Uh, you know, like radio, of course, there were, oh, radio, you know, terrible. But yeah. now we have Christian broadcasts sure. and Christian music broadcasts on radio, you know, uh, TV. That can certainly be horrible, okay? But yeah. we can use TV for, for other reasons. And this is the same. The technology in and of itself is not bad or evil or sinful. The question is, how do we use it? And, right. and, and how, are we, how are we leveraging it and averaging it? And so I think God wants us to use our intellectual capacity and mechanical ability to leverage whatever the human mind can create in, in, uh, uh, technologically and leverage it to his kingdom. Yeah, and in, 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 in harmony with the structure Within of the creation. boundaries of his patterns and order right. and, and, and non-chaos. Right, right. Yeah. Any thoughts on that, John? Anything you have to add? On technology? Yeah, just or generally speaking. You know, in terms of technology, the, the biggest challenge in local food is there's tools local food distributors and sellers need, there's tools farmers need, and then there's tools consumers need. And there's lots of opportunities still in that marketplace. You just have to poke around and see which one you might want to solve. That's true. That's true. Other questions? Yeah, uh, well... Do you have a question too? I do. So, I, if you if you don't mind, I'm I'm gonna. <laughs> yep, go for it. Uh, so, I guess just kind of following up the two previous, but the as Christians thinking about being Christians that are striving to take dominion in the places that God has put us in. When you start this challenge, it's very easy to. Uh, Starburst, uh, as someone who is um, maybe raised in a culture that didn't have any of this provided to them at the time. Uh, so now, when you're thinking through all these things, I guess, how would you prioritize and what would you prioritize? So if you're talking about like politics or even home life, I mean, obviously start your garden. Uh, but like, what, how would you place those in order, and then um, what so, would we stop? Yeah, so what I'm hearing you say, so to, for the sake of the television audience at home, is that we've got a lot of things we're going to be doing that all kind of connect with each other, and it seems overwhelming, and we need to start somewhere. Where would we start? Is that, is that good? Yeah. So, biblically speaking, you start with your own life and then your household. So when I married Jessica, we were a standardism American as you can possibly imagine. I grew up watching cartoons on Saturday morning, eating junk food, um, you know, so typical 1990s kid. Um, so we chose two things a week after we got married, two changes a week we made to our household. 
One week it was learning to cook a whole chicken. I've never seen a whole chicken in my entire life. Wow. Um, you know, so, and we, and no you, wonder your hair is curly. <laughs> and if you make two changes a week for two years, you will be amazed at, at both like how much less stressful it is to get to a better place as a household and um, you know, just how much success and fruit you're going to see over that time. And, you know, then biblically, um, I made a post about this on Facebook a week ago. Like, who were the men who got to be at the city gate? What were the men at the city gate in ancient world? Well, those were the men who had political and other say. You only got a seat at the city gate when your household was in order and when you had achieved a measure of economic and other success. Um, you know, the word master in, that was used in kind of medieval times. Well, how did you become a master? Because you had mastered yourself and some trade and something else. Mm -hmm. So I always tell people, start with your house, start with your marriage, start with whatever land you have. And when you are managing that well, God will give you other opportunities to do more. So this is, this by the way is great stuff and it could go on for a long time, but it'd be nice if some folks here had a chance to come up and connect with you a little bit before worship service. I know John, you're going to probably have to leave right at the end of worship or maybe even before to make the plane. So uh, why don't I pray and give you all an opportunity to just kind of, uh, you know, spend some time with each other and fellowship and get to talk to, to, to Joel and John to get your selfies and all that kind of stuff. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for uh, a very, I think, uh, fruitful, profitable past few days and for this morning. Uh, we've been taking the conversation in all sorts of directions, but the place that uh, we have our peg uh, nailed to is your word. Mm. And Lord, we are gl we're glad that we have that, uh, that uh, steady uh, and uh, truthful standard that uh, we can refer to. We pray, Lord, that everything we think about in these regards would be uh, assessed in light of that word. And we pray too for worship in a little bit that we will glorify you uh, as we conduct it. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.